Hi, my name is Richard. I'm an addict. I thought there was a lot more reading, so I was kind of just like uh, chilling out down there, and all of a sudden, bam, here I am. So there's, there's, there is another speaker? Okay, so you have to just remind me when, because I gab. So um, I'm going to just straighten this out so you can hear me properly. Um, so uh, back to basics. So I've, uh, I, first of all, I just want to recognize the fact that these Canadian conventions are uh, pretty amazing things. Um, I've been to, I was just sitting there thinking, I've been to Victoria, Nanaimo in British Columbia, I've been to Calgary and Edmonton, uh, I've been to Toronto, uh, where else have I been? I've been to St. John, New Brunswick a couple times, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Charlottetown, Prince Edward, Edward Island, Niagara Falls, all at different Canadian conventions of Narcotics Anonymous, so it's really gives a good flavor of, uh, of the, the entire nation and, and see how really big the fellowship is. And the funny thing is I was, last week I was in Kelowna because my father is in a, a nursing home there. And uh, so I go out every few, every four weeks or so I fly out to uh, Kelowna to see my dad. So I was in a meeting on Saturday night in Kelowna and, and uh, someone asked me, these two guys rode up in Harleys and, and uh, we started talking and, and they I said they're from they said they were from Calgary. I said, Oh, do you know my friend Kate from Calgary? They go, Oh yeah, how do you know Kate? I go, Oh, Kate's from Toronto, I know Toronto. He goes, I met a guy in Florida who was uh, at a horse farm who was uh, his name's Paul. Do you know a guy named Paul from I go, Paul was the best man at my wedding. So uh, so it's a pretty small community, you know, when you get out there and you start to get to meet people and and uh, and get to go out in in the world of Narcotics Anonymous, and you see things like uh, uh, I'm going to get to ba back to basics in a second. But I just like you go out and you you get to experience Narcotics Anonymous more than just your home group or just your area, and you get to go around the world and you travel. You know, you get clean. You get to travel a little bit, and you go to different places. And and I had the opportunity to go to the World Service Conference representing Ontario one time and and uh, to see people from all over the world and to see the, 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 the vastness and the, and the passion and the, the different, the, the, the diversity and all come into one room, it's like the UN, it's with all the, all the, the tears going up everywhere and there's translators and there's everything. And I, after the first meeting, I just sat in my chair and I cried because it was just so overwhelming to be part of something so huge when my world was stuck in a small room. You know, I was the guy that went to the washroom. Of the, you never wanted me to go to the washroom at your party because I was in there for an hour and a half. I'm almost done. <laughs> um, so, uh, when I got to Narcotics Anonymous, it, I, I had been back and forth in Narcotics Anonymous, back and forth. Uh, I started going because... I lived in a recovery house that said I had to go to so many three step or twelve step meetings uh, a week. I had to go to three a week in order to stay in the house, and so I went there because um, I had a choice of different A's to go to. I chose Narcotics Anonymous because I liked the name. I liked the name Narcotic. It was edgy. It was kind of like uh, it was wasn't socially acceptable and that's how I felt and that's why I started going to NA and so 
what I did in this recovery house was they had um, they had uh, I gave my money to the, my counselor so every day my counselor would give me $20 every day and so but I'm a little bit sneaky so what I would do is I would only spend $13 a day and every three days I would have $20 extra and I would go score a 20 piece and I would go to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and I would go with the dope in my hand my leather jacket on my biker jacket my boots and my biker boots and my tattoos and I would sit there with my arms crossed in the back of the room thinking don't ask me to do one of those stupid readings don't ask me my name because I don't want to know your name and whatever you do don't fucking hug me just stay away from me and I would, wa- I would stay in the meeting till the break and I would take a piece of literature off the free literature table and I would leave at the break and I would go get high and I would wander around the city until I could get into the, into the back door of the recovery house before curfew. I'd go to bed and I couldn't wait for three more days later when I could go to another Narcotics Anonymous meeting because I knew I would get high. And uh, so I remember one meeting that this, this girl, like she's a little short girl with this big moppy hair and uh, she, gave, she got a 30-day key tag. Now I've been to many, many treatment centers. And my idea of a treatment center is I would say to myself, they say, you need to go to a 21-day treatment center. And I would think, I can stay clean for 21 days. I had no intention of staying clean for 22 days. I can stay clean for 21 days. So I would go to the 21-day treatment center. I was successful. And then I go, I, the next day I went and got high. So then they go, you need to go to a 30-day treatment center. I think, I can, I can stay clean for 30 days. And on the 31st day, I would get high. But I was successful in the 30 days. So what happened with me was I was, uh, I saw this girl get the 30-day key tag and I thought to myself, how the hell do you stay clean for 30 days in a row? Like, how do you stay clean on the streets of Toronto? My problem was that I could stay clean in a bubble. I could stay clean in a sanitary environment where I was accountable to somebody 24 hours a day, but I could not stay clean on the streets of Toronto. I didn't know how to put $20 in my pocket, walk around the block, and come home with the $20. I would be broke and I would be high and bugged out looking for more. So um, so I saw this girl and I thought, how the hell do you do it? And she didn't look like super confident. She didn't, she didn't look like she was like, uh, you know, her complexion was perfect or that her clothes were great or her, but she looked really happy. She looked really proud and really happy that she had this orange piece of plastic in her hand. And I sat there with a dope in my hand thinking, how in the hell do you do that? So I left and I did what I always do. I got high. And then I went and did, came in the back. Long story short, I got kicked out of the recovery house. The guy says, I think you're using. I don't think you're using a lot, but you got to go. So then he got me to a six-month residential treatment center, which I stayed, and I stayed clean after that residential center longer than I'd ever stayed clean in my life. I stayed clean for nine days after that treatment center. And I thought to myself the whole time in those nine days, I just want to try it one more time. I just want to see what it's like one more time. And so I'm only going to spend $20. So I went, and that $20 lasted for three and a half more years. And so three and a half more years, my life went to places that um, 
I thought I was really, really messed up and bad before I went to the recovery house. After three, after six months of treatment and another three and a half years of using, I was like absolutely at the bottom of the barrel. And I remember waking up in a motel room on Kingston Road in Toronto with all my ribs showing, with, uh, with like two bags of dirty clothes, with uh, my hands black from digging through an ashtray all night long, long scraggly goatee, long scraggly hair, hadn't showered in days, hadn't eaten in days, thinking that my mom's going to get a phone call saying that her son is dead and she has to come and collect the body. And so that was the moment where I decided that I needed to do something for myself. And uh, so I got into a re recovery house where a guy from H&I came in. It was nice that Steve was mentioning H&I last night. The guy from H&I came in and he was talking about um, how he came, he was very heavy Spanish accent, so I really had to listen. And he said how the, the, the people from, uh, you know, he grew up in a good family in Colombia and, and, and his parents sent him to Canada because he was going to get killed down in Colombia. And, and I grew up on Vancouver Island and the outlaw motorcycle gang was looking for me and to pay them a bunch of money. And my parents sent me on a bus with a one-way bus ticket across Canada. And then he, they told me, he says how he... He uh, was started to sell dope to support his habit, and that's what I did in Toronto here. And then he ended up in jail, which I ended up in jail. And how he uh, started using his own product and couldn't sell the dope anymore and got into a bunch of debt, which is exactly what happened to me. And how he became homeless. He went from up here dealer to down here homeless, and I was from up here dealer to down here homeless. And then he told me how he was five years clean. And I thought, how the hell did the guy get clean? So I asked the guy after the meeting, I said, hey man, how, uh, how do you get to, he, you know, he says, he goes, man, you go to Narcotics Anonymous, man. And uh, so I said, okay, so how do I go? And he says, do you have to get a meeting list? I said, so, I said, can you get a meeting list for me? He says, right over there. He says, I said, can you get one for me? He says, man, get your own fucking meeting list, man. I said, what? He says, it will be the first step you take in Narcotics Anonymous. So what the lesson he taught me was a lesson that I had never gotten. I'm a smart guy. I went to treatment. I thought that, that by osmosis, this thing is going to come in and it's going to save me. It's going to make me better. I thought by sitting here and doing nothing, I was going to be healthy. He told me that if I want something, I have to go get it. And so that's how I started my recovery, by going to get a meeting list. And... Uh, he told me that uh, if I wanted to go to a meeting the next morning, it was a Saturday night, if I wanted to go to a Sunday afternoon meeting, I could go to a meeting with him. He would pick me up and sign me out of the detox, which, sure, you're going to do that. You're an addict. You don't do things. You tell me you're going to do things, but you don't really do things. But I got ready anyway, and the fucking guy showed up. And uh, he took me to a meeting where I saw another guy that I used to score with standing outside of the meeting, this other Spanish guy, and I said, uh, Martin, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, man, Narcotics Anonymous, man, this place is the best. I go, so what do you got? You got 30 days? You got 60 days, Martin? What he goes, Richard, I just celebrated three years. I said, you got to be kidding me. I go into the, uh, the meeting, into this church on Bellwood Avenue in Toronto, and it's a, it was a thing called a medallion meeting. And I go in there, and you know the short girl with the big moppy hair? It was her four-year medallion. And uh, 
and I cried. And I saw her there with her family, and I didn't have my family in my life. I hadn't spoken to my family in 10 years. He had, uh, she had friends there. I spent my entire, like, last three and a half years isolated, completely isolated. I, I never ate a hot meal. I talked to my, after work, I would only talk to my dealer. That's the only person I had any interaction with after work. And uh, I used to score in a, in a mall parking lot, and I'd see these people walking out of the mall thinking, what do they got in those bags? Like, what do they got in there? Like, where do they get the money for these things? Like, my, my life had, result, had gone down to the animal level, as it talks about in the basic text. So, they told me to do five things. Now they tell you to do three things. They're nice and gentle now. But when I got clean, they said five things. They said, 90 meetings in 90 days, get a home group, get a sponsor, get involved in service, and don't pick up no matter what. They said, if you do those five things, Richard, you're guaranteed to stay clean. I go, well, if I just did the fifth one and didn't pick up no matter what, I'm guaranteed to stay clean. But anyway, I just want to let you know that. And uh, so they said, so I said, let's start at the beginning. So I was talking to this guy, Joe, and I said, Joe, let's start at the beginning. I said, 90 meetings in 90 days? What are you talking about? He goes, you go to a meeting every day for 90 days. I go, are you fucking serious? He goes, Richard, have you ever used for 90 days in a row? I said, I think I just used for like 90 months in a row. <laughs> and uh, he says, so why don't you go to a meeting a day to help save your life? I said, okay, I can do that. And now I journaled. So I know that I went to 126 meetings in the first 90 days. And I got a 90-day key. They said, get a home group. That was easy. I joined that group Sunday afternoon. That was a no-brainer. They said, uh, get involved in service. So this is my first experience in service. I'm sitting there. So I'm the kind of guy that thinks that at, when I got clean, that every church had literature out and coffee made and chairs set up. Like, I just didn't know that people actually did that stuff. And uh, so I... I was sitting in this, this thing. They said, I will all home group members to stay after the meeting. We have a business meeting. I heard, Richard Hightower to the principal's office, please. That's what I heard. So I'm sitting in there feeling self-conscious, and they're talking about the next Sunday was the, this thing called area, whatever area is. And uh, we needed a volunteer to go to the area meeting to pick up a bag of literature that we, we had ordered. So I did what I, I nod my head, because that's what I did a lot when I got clean. I just nod, listened to everybody <laughs> nodding, and they said, uh, all of a sudden everybody started to look at me. And I thought, what the hell are they looking at? I was like maybe three weeks clean. They're all looking at me, and uh, I, uh, uh-oh. And they said, Richard, would you like to go to the area meeting next Sunday and pick up the bag of literature? It is not the fact that they thought I would be, could be trusted with a $30 bag of literature. It's the fact that they believed that I would still be clean next week that blew my mind. I stayed clean that week because of a bag of literature. And uh, I remember on Sunday, the, the, the next Sunday, so I'm in a recovery house. There's 26 guys in the recovery house. It was like, everybody get the F out of my way. I have a bag of literature to pick up. I had, my, I had my clothes laid out on the bed. I had everything. The alarm set. It was like, oh, man, I got to go. So 
Um, so they told me to get a sponsor. Now, for me, getting a sponsor was the most difficult part. Um, because I have secrets. I have things that I think that I don't even want to admit to myself that I think them, let alone tell another human being. And I don't really trust a lot of people. And so they said it was like, they, they said reservations rob, because I would read the literature, it says reservations rob you of the benefits that this program has to offer. And if I had a reservation about getting a sponsor, I was robbing myself of the benefits that the program had to offer. And this program was like the end of the road for me. And I was actually doing it, so I needed to get a sponsor. And, and so because I took advantage of small people on the street, I decided that my best bet was to get a physically big sponsor. So I needed a physically big sponsor because I thought I would show a little bit more respect and I would listen to what he said. So that was my motive behind my first sponsor. It was if you want, you want something that the person has, I wanted, to, I wanted to be able to respect them. So I thought a physically big person. So I remember walking into the coffee shop behind this guy for the first time when we we're going to meet. And he said, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm walking across Dundas Street, thinking, who in the hell do you think you are? I'm looking at his back thinking, who the hell do you think you are that I'm going to tell you all my secrets? And we got in, we ordered coffee, we sat down, and he says, Richard, it's good to finally meet you. I said, dude, you don't know me. He says, Richard, I've been praying for you for years. I said, dude, you have no clue who I am. He said, Richard, at the end of every Narcotics Anonymous meeting, we get in a circle and we pray for the addicts inside and outside of the rooms that still suffer. And I've been praying for you for years, and it's good to finally meet you. And what it did is it really lowered my guard. It allowed me to uh, share with somebody. And, uh, and, I, and, and, and he, was, he was just as open with me as I was with him. So that's how I started. And they said, don't pick up no matter what. That's the fifth one. Which it sounds like, like duh. But when, you, when it was difficult for me to ask for help, when I was in that recovery house, I remember sitting in a chair, similar to those chairs you're sitting in, with my hands under my legs, shaking my legs, telling myself, repeating, I'm worth it, I'm worth it, I'm worth it. And then going to bed at, at 8 o'clock at night, because like when I was a kid, if I went to bed early on Christmas Eve, Christmas came quicker. So I would go to bed early so that I didn't have to have those thoughts anymore. So that, because uh, every morning I felt better. I always find whenever I get into trouble in recovery, my idea of trouble in recovery is when I stop doing step work and I stop sort of hanging around meetings and I stop hanging around with her instead of the person that I'm married with and that sort of thing, um, that I ended up always going back to the same meetings where I got clean. I always end up in the same place in that same comfort zone with the same smell of the church and the same hardwood floor and the same stained glass windows and the same people sitting in there year after year and they're still there and I feel comfortable and I feel safe. And I'm not hiding or running, I'm going there to expose myself. And uh, um, my, uh, how am I doing? 
Okay. So, um, my experience is is that uh, uh, this is a safe place for me. I have I have lots of stuff to still do. I go through the steps every single year. Every single year, I go through all twelve steps. I heard a speaker Kermit says you only have to do really three. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, one, one, nine, and twelve. I fucked up. I'm sorry. How can I help you? Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I go through all twelve steps with a group of men, and uh, you know, a lot of us with clean time, and we bring a lot of guys with no clean time or little clean time or early in recovery, and we take them through the steps with us, and uh, and w- and we do it. We do it from uh, we meet in my shop. There's a space like this where I'll sit around with smoke cigars and do uh, step work. So um, it works for us. Um, I just want to share a little bit about my things coming around full circle. I, if you ask me what the most important thing in my life, uh, in my recovery, the most the, the best thing that's ever happened to me, the biggest gift I've ever had in recovery, um, was holding my mom's hand when she took her last breath. Um, my mom was my inspiration to get clean. I hooked up with my family again. One phone call. Um, the, that unconditional love. I, I went from, you know, when they asked me to, uh, they asked me to write three things about myself when I got clean. I said I was useless, worthless, and the guy goes, "Hey, buddy, you better write something positive." And, I, and a hard worker. I was useless, worthless, and a hard worker. And when I reconnected with my family, I became a son, and a brother, and an uncle. And today I'm a, an employer, and a husband, and a, and a friend and a sponsor and a sponsee and, and all those things and I would never consider myself useless or worthless and uh, periodically I'm a hard worker today. <laughs> I own the company. Um, so, um, and now my dad, my dad is in the early stages of dementia and I'm there present. What a gift. You know, I spent a long time, I learned a lot about with my sponsor, through my relationship with my sponsor, I had the same sponsor for 13 years, and uh, when 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 the proverbial crap hit the fan, I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to tell. I only wanted to share my successes. I'm the chair of this committee. I'm the chair of that committee. I'm the chair of this. I'm the chair of that. And I would tell him about. I'm speaking here and I'm speaking there. I would never tell him that. The, the things that were going wrong in my life, the things that I struggled with. So what I realized was I am the oldest son from a German family and, uh, and, uh, and, and I had like literally the key given to me to take over my father's businesses and, 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 I, and I messed up. I dropped the ball. And I dropped the ball and I dropped the ball and in my head I disappointed and I disappointed and I disappointed. And so I found that with my father... For years in recovery, I would never tell him about my difficult times. I would only tell him about the successes because I wanted him to be proud of me. And I found that I was having the same relationship with my sponsor because I just wanted him to be proud of me. I didn't want him to think that I was a failure, that I was struggling. I wanted to be the perfect recovering addict. Little did I know that the perfect recovering addict talks about their problems, shares about their problems, moves into the solution, and guess the other side. 
so I just want to close with uh, telling you that I, I have this great relationship with my father today. I have a beautiful relationship with my sponsor. Um, and that uh, I'm going to continue going there and spending as much time with him as I can while I still can, given his condition. So to wrap things up, I just want to say that uh, yeah, I've been clean for quite a while. I've been going to a lot, I go to a lot of meetings, and uh, and at the end of every meeting, I pray for you. So it's good to finally meet you. Thanks. Thank you.